1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Yeah Gadget, made in America, based outside of Nashville, Tennessee. Jigmasters. Step up your game with high quality performance jigs, spinner baits, buzz baits, and more from jigmasters.com. And always, when in doubt, get the jig out.
3: You're listening to Fast Listen For News on the and Finn Podcast with your hosts, Ryan Milford and Sean Lamar. <laughs>
4: Welcome back to the Bass Fishing for Noobs segment on the and Fad, bah, Paddle and paddle oh, Podcast. What podcast? <laughs> paddle. Um, I'm your host, Sean Lavry. With me, as always, is my good buddy Ryan Milford. Welcome, Ryan. What's up, man? Um, tonight on the new show, uh, we'd like to welcome Chris Gorsuch from Real River Adventures. He's a guide uh, local to me here in PA, Susky. Uh, so, uh, welcome, Chris. Glad to be here, guys. So, Chris, um, for anybody who doesn't know you uh, or isn't from my neck of the woods or hasn't seen your awesome Facebook uh, page, um, just get, uh, tell the folks a little bit about yourself, um,
5: how you kind of got into fishing and, um, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. So, I, I mean, I think fishing was in my blood like it is for many of us. Right from the very day I was, you know, able to see, see water, catch fish. Um, kind of my grandfather and my father were huge pieces of that. Uh, my grandfather, like, lived in the Juniata River, pretty much right on the shorelines of uh, just the Raystown Branch. So I fished the the whole Juniata River in the summertime. We floated it, and we would always end up at the mouth of the Juniata, which is down by Duncan in Pennsylvania. And uh, went to school here in Pennsylvania. When I graduated college, uh, moved to as close as I could get to the river. At that point in time, I was in the Allentown area. So I fished the Delaware a a real lot. Um, I was one of the first people in my area to get a jet boat back in the early 90s. Um, There was one or two other guys that had them at the time. And uh, at that, if you can imagine, if you can take a look at the river now, at that point in time, there was a lot of guys who were in canoes. Um, The kayak thing really wasn't big yet. Um, Guys were fishing at a smaller, Car topper boats with a 99 uh tiller prop with a cage on it. So when I had my 90s, it was, actually, it was a 6045 jet on a 1650 uh John boat. I was literally one of the first guys that you know I remember seeing on that. It was a couple guys who owned uh boat shops in the, in the Delaware, and of course, there was a number of people on a Susquehanna. But I mean, if you saw if you saw one at the gas station, you had something to talk about because there just wasn't wasn't that many around. And nowadays, on my way to launch every morning, I see two or three jet boats either pass me or I pass them on the way there. So it's it's amazing how far this has come and how many people now own them. But that's really how I got my start. Uh, when I retired, I went to work for about a year and a half at a boat shop. And when that didn't work out, I had done about seven or eight years of part-time guiding, and I was part of a TV show called uh, Backwoods Angler TV, and I figured I had a year to figure out what I was doing because uh, of my retirement. I had signed an NDA-type deal where I couldn't go back into engineering right away, so I thought, well, I'm going to try this you know guiding full-time, see if I can handle it, see if I can put it to mustard, and that was seven and a half years ago, and that's pretty much the story.
4: Still so interesting. You talk about that. Uh, I, I, I've seen I, I've so seen many people years. rig up a uh, 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 a pitchfork on their prop to try and guard it from, you know, all the rocks in the river. And, you know, then you hear about jet boats and I've seen jet boats oh. got guys go flying down and what seems like, you know, six inches of water you know, it's just amazing. Yeah. How if it it's set up right, it's
5: it's it's scary shallow. I mean, it's shallower than six inches and uh, maybe too shallow for some conditions. You know, you could argue both ways and uh, <laughs> some of them some are a little bit too fast for the drivers. And I'm sure if you've been in a kayak, you've seen what I mean, right? You could actually, you got to be responsible for not just people in your boat, but those people around you. And you know some of the kayaks are harder to see some of these kayaks they they blend in really well, so you know I've had to turn around a couple of times and apologize for not seeing somebody fast enough if you know what I
4: mean yeah, that's definitely happened to me a few times, nothing too crazy close, but definitely been waked a few times so yeah you
3: definitely got to be careful on those things. I got a buddy uh he's kind of new to boating he went out and bought a brand new jet boat and uh was running it up the river and i I'm not sure the exact details of it but ended up slinging him and the guy with him out of the boat yeah you know you, usually the
5: first thing you do on a, on a jet boat is you season the bottom you know you put a few dents in it and get it nice and seasoned and you know once mm-hmm. those things are kind of done you kind of kind of takes the edge off of uh, of the new boat and makes you run a little bit safer the next time out but yeah you can you can get yourself some trouble um i think a lot of these uh custom boat guys that show their stuff want to be like you know one of these infomercials where the guys are going 900 miles per hour around rocks and slipping around things. And that's really cool until somebody gets hurt thinking that they can do the same thing and not realizing that that guy who's building those boats has hundreds, maybe thousands of hours behind the seat of one of those things. So mm-hmm.
3: it probably knows that river, like the back of his hand.
5: Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of these things where some of these boats are named some funny names to make them feel, seem like they're like in, indestructible. And the, the reality is, nothing beats a rock right so you can <laughs> hammer on that rock all day long but aluminum versus rocks don't work so
4: yeah you know, the you, rock's gonna win pretty much all all the it
5: time. really does and i think there's some there's a ways of being a little bit more responsible with your adding but you know your ads for your boats. but you know who knows
4: yeah i guess whatever makes the money is what gonna go for, so. <laughs> those things seven. are crazy
3: though I, I remember when i first started bass fishing like what seven eight years ago, yeah. years ago. You know, I was fishing off the bank on at the river, and that's it right beside this like really really shallow area. And uh, here come this boat coming up through there. I'm like, well, he's gonna have to turn around right there. And he came right up through. I'm like, how did he do that? At the time, I didn't know what a jet boat was.
5: Yeah, and, we have ripples here that are probably you know three four inches, just enough for you know if you're in a in a, an older style or skinny kayak that it doesn't it doesn't displace the water like some of these newer kayaks. And I'll have these people that are, you know, part of a livery service and they'll be, you know, kayaking for the first time and they'll come through, get stuck on the shoal. And, you know, the shoals are real wide. They're, you know, several hundred yards wide and I'll see them stuck on the on the shoal and I'll come flying up through there. And I'm a good 200 feet from them, but I'll see them kind of waving me off, you know, don't come through here, it's too shallow. And, you know, I go through there and then later they go, how did you get through there? Because they don't see me at the boat ramp or something. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm pushing a lot of water with me, so I get I can go that distance for a little while before I run out of water. But it's kind of interesting to see someone who just goes, you know, is paddling and gets stuck and then they see you and try to help you out. <laughs> Not realize you can go through that stuff.
3: Well, something that I do want to say while we're on this subject uh, of jet boats is if you're kayaking in a river and, you, and you're around like real shallow riffles or whatever and you see a jet boat coming, get out of the way. They they can't stop. They got to maintain a certain speed to get up through there uh, in that shallow area. So just move. Yeah, I think, it, I think I <laughs> think it's a two way
5: street. I think there's some there's some things. Um, you know, if you, for the jet boat, you have the more bit more of a more mobility and more speed. So I mean, I've mm-hmm. sat sometimes and let guys go down through shoots. You know, even if it takes five, six, seven, eight minutes for them to get down through it, if guys are fishing stuff, I'll try to find another way around it. Um, my biggest problem isn't isn't um, you know the respect going both ways. It's more um, how well some of these kayaks blend in. I'm real a big fan of like bright colored greens, you know, yellows, oranges. just love it. You get some of those slate blue ones and those tan ones and the of course, the camel ones they're really hard to see i mean they're just they look like a rock in the water or a you know or a log on a. you really if the person isn't wearing very colorful clothing it's difficult to, to, to see them in time so we kind of get seen because you can hear us coming where you guys are very stealthy so mm-hmm. a lot of times you think we're being jerks and really what the situation is we didn't see you so i try to be as 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 trying to look, you know, everywhere I am, but I'm also looking at the rocks that are in front of me sometimes. So my is a little bit lacking. So I just think some understanding. I mean, I I try to, since I kayak too, I try to 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 have a good view at you know both sides of that story. So I don't expect guys to get out of my way. I just don't expect them to sit in the only shoot that we have to get through. Right. So sometimes I'll blow my horn or, or whistle. And most guys are really good about getting out of the way. And the other thing is we have to share the river. And because we have the faster, more movable boats, it's best for us sometimes just to wait our turn. That's just my view.
3: Yeah, And, and that was good info about the colors, too. Like people that are upgrading boats or maybe looking to get their first, first boat. Um, you know, That's good info. Keep yeah, if you're not... What
5: Yep. If you're not duck hunting, I don't, I don't, you know, it's not like you can't, I mean, I, I fished, I've done a number of videos, uh, kayak videos with yellow, orange, bright, bright, bright green, you know, boats. And I've mean, i never, never noticed a fish not biting because my kayak was too, too colorful. You know, I can see if you're duck hunting, but.
3: I believe that is a fear, but yeah, I've got, I've got a decently bright green kayak myself and I've never had an issue. I don't catch fish
4: anyways, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Chris, I was lucky enough to see uh, a recent seminar that you
5: did. Uh, I guess, uh, was that for the Delaware River Association or something? It like was that? for the Delaware River Association, and it, and I did it again, actually, for some local guys here on the Susquehanna.
4: Yeah, and I caught I caught the end of the first one, and I caught all of the second one. And I was kind of hoping maybe we could cover a little bit of that. Um, we, you were talking a little bit about uh, kind of the transition into spring, then to summer. And then there was a couple of good tips there. I don't know uh, if you don't mind sharing. Um, no, sure. Uh, just talk a little bit about... Um, well, boat positioning and anything else you want to cover from that seminar. So,
5: so just one little thing that I'll just cover as as a, as a, just an end all, there is no such thing as an end all when it comes to some of these, these things we're finding out about bass. And if you would have asked me, I start, I've been writing for 27 years for magazines and I've been guiding for, this is my 15th or 16th year guiding. And I spend a lot of time on the water. I see a lot of things. And I'm telling you that the longer, the more time I spend doing this, the more I realize how little I know about it. And what I mean by that is, I'm learning something every single day. Uh, it's what keeps me happy about doing this job. And being an engineer, um, I keep a lot of records, I keep a lot of, you know, things that would just drive some people, some people was just nuts, the stuff I keep track of, I mean. But I'm constantly relearning, understanding, and one of the biggest things that, one of the biggest reasons for doing the transitions for Bass is how much these bass are moving. I have a friend that, that, that and I, we, we're talking constantly and it's amazing how much day-to-day moving that you get when you leave winter where these fish are pretty much stationary all winter long, they do very little moving. And then when that water starts to break into the upper 30s and low 40s, here in Pennsylvania for sure, New York, New Jersey is probably exactly the same way, Delaware, Virginia, West Virginia, cause I fish all those places. Um, they start to move. And, you know, if you have a small river, they usually, usually use the banks. They'll, they'll travel up the banks. And you can almost pick the, look at a map and know what side of the river they're going to be moving up on based on depth and where the current seams are, where the current breaks are. Um, and they'll move. I mean, you know, InFishman did something years and years ago. And I'm not, not sure if I was allowed to mention that, but they did a, a great report about how far bass in the river travel to spawn. And someone you know, wrote like 12 miles or eight miles. And it just seemed ridiculous to me because there's just so many spawning areas. Why would they have to travel that far? But I'll, I'll be honest with you. I've seen small creeks where they'll go four miles up a small creek uh, in a few days. So if they'll do that in a creek that feeds the river it's very likely that if they go up to the next creek that's two miles away, they just traveled six miles without even really trying. So it's amazing how much they move. And you'll, you, I'll be on a pattern where I'll, I'll be getting great numbers and great size of fish. And all of a sudden the next day, after, you know, three or four days of this great pattern, I'll be catching different fish. And I mean, different fish, the different class of fish, the much smaller fish. And I'll, I'll a few days later it transitions again where I can't find a fish. I've got to go out and start looking for them. But what I've been able to track over the last couple of years is where they are in the river, you know, and how about how fast they move if there isn't a cold front, if there isn't um, any rises in the water temp and rises in the water levels. But that's one of the tricks for for learning how to find these fish. And as the water drops, they'll start to transition. Away from the shorelines and into these current seams that push them into ledges or into island breaks in the middle of the river where they'll just, you can actually pretty much follow them um, day after day after day, moving upriver until they hit their destination. Now, sometimes when I say upriver, they may curl up a creek and you'll be catching them along this bank that goes to this creek for five, six miles. You'll be catching them almost every day and then all of a sudden they're gone. And they're really not gone. They're just so far up these creeks, you can't get your boat up to it. And they're just up inside these creeks. And that's the fish that you were fishing for. And it's amazing how the big fish move first. I mean, that's the biggest lesson that I'm learning is that I have to be on the water, you know, early to mid-March because I want those biggest fish first. And if you've been following my reports, you'll see some of the, the monster fish we're catching because you're out there when these first fish are leaving. So- based on metabolism, based on how much they have to eat to keep this body mass, based on procreation, the bigger fish generally have more eggs. They have to move first. They, they're the first ones to go. So it's like an early pregnancy, right? You know, if it's your first child, you generally have a bunch of false pregnancies. So these ones, these people who have six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 children, you know, they're, they're, their deliveries go really quick. I think that's a lot of the way it is with some of these bass. They realize they have to get to where they're going. They start earlier and they arrive sooner, and therefore, if you're following them, you get a chance to catch them all the way up until they're, they're about ready to spawn.
1: At Midway USA. we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR 15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop midwayusa.com.
5: So I had read- that's why transition was so important for me to cover.
4: I had read something interesting about that too that um, bass will often return to the place where they were spawned, you know, uh, right. and, and there's something about it, that area that they know and they will return even if they
5: move far, far away from it. Right. Similar to salmon. Of course, they don't have anywhere near the, the scent tracking that salmon does. But a salmon will travel, you know, hundreds of miles if they need to, to to spawn. We're bass. We're talking, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 12 miles max usually. But they will go back to the grounds that they were, you know, probably they were born in it's their home grounds. Unless there's some kind of catastrophe, you know, a major flood or the it's silted over so much that there isn't you know good habitat anymore or the food base is gone and it can't Can't keep them there long enough to, to do their appropriation So as long as you have the the food base as long as there's still the protected waters That was always that were already there. We had two or three floods in 2010 to 2014 that were devastating floods, two 50-year floods and a 100-year flood, and it changed places, especially on the Delaware, and I've seen it here on the the Susquehanna as well, where you knew fish were going to be there, but now they're less of a place that you can go to. Other places are still there and still holding strong, but they're not what they once were. So that's why I say, usually if they're they're born there and they last 10 years, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be there every year for
3: you know, while they're while they're alive, that's that's crazy. It, you know, it just made me think. Like, you know, say us. Like, I'm sure pretty much everybody their childhood home. You know, has got a little special place to them. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, I'm I kind of associate that with what you're talking about. Like, it's like their child, yeah, home.
5: It, and then how to get there, and no matter where they are, no matter how bad the floods have been previous years, no matter how far down the river they get washed. I mean, I'm sure there's a destination that they they'll change if they have to, but I think most of them return to the same place. If we had a way of tagging it, you know, I think it would be very interesting, but you know, that would be way too much money than any state could afford to do. So, you know, I usually start out with, you know, uh, i'm looking for that trend of that, that warming trend you know i'm starting to, i'm looking at trees and you know of course trees bud in the fall but they they bloom in the in the in the spring so i'm looking to see any kind of growth you know those first little bit of flowers that come up that the trees that that, that start to show their very first you know blooms i'm always looking for something to show, to show me that i'm watching other nature i'm watching you know, ducks and geese and the way that they're reacting, that the, they're gathering and they're nesting. Because it all kind of happens, you know, at the same time. And as you keep notes, you start to make a note of it, right? I mean, and, and you don't, you have longer daylights, you know, so there's not just temperature, it's also the daylight that gets them, gets them going. But I start to target my bass, knowing that they have to feed, I usually start to get more aggressive with my lure presentation. So, I will tell you this, that no matter when you fish, and I fish year-round every single month, at least once every two weeks in the winter wintertime um, until the river freezes. And if it doesn't freeze, I'm, I'm going as often as I can. And I'm not afraid of getting stuck, so I'm out there a lot. But soft plastics are, are something you always have to have on your boat. There's not a time when you want to just leave that stuff at home. So, you know, a tube, some kind of Z-Man type Ned rig, um, any kind of jig jigging pigs just something that you that you're comfortable with whether it's a a a bug style bait or you know a a creature or a warm minnow you know swim bait type deal you always want to have that stuff in your boat but as these fish start to get more and more active i think the very first hard bait i get out is a jerk bait now i'll have my jerk baits all winter long but I fish them quite a bit differently in, in the springtime. And I also will throw a much larger profile in the spring because I know they're coming out of, of you know, not hibernation, but they're very dormant. And they they eat in, in the wintertime, but not every day. So you can go out fishing and you could be sitting on top of the fish and they're just not eating because, you know, a certain percentage of them just don't eat every single day that time of year. Um, so I'll start to throw the 110, the one, 15 the 100 size jerk baits and I'll I'll change my cadence up from being very slow in the winter time to being very very aggressive to where the pause is less than 2 seconds you know that's that's kind of where the pause is and then I'll transition from there to fishing more aggressive tubes more aggressive swim bait um I'll throw a lot of uh crankbaits. I love square wheel crankbaits. And so when that waters up in the 47, 48, 49 degree mark, that's when I'm getting that stuff out. I love a spinnerbait bite, but I'll wait until the 49, 50, 51, 52 degrees for that spinnerbait bite to kick. And I know I'm missing a few fish there, but I want them to be on it, on it. I don't want to have to force feed them to anything. So I start my you know, my, my trips off. I have a some kind of a jig, you know, whether it's a Ned Rig or a Hula Stick or a Z-Man Bug Z or a tube. I love the the two and a, 2.75 to 3.5 inch single dip tubes. Um, I, I love swim baits. I don't care what, who makes them, you know, Kytec makes a great one. Fit makes a great one. There's um there's just a number of companies out there that make good swim baits, but that's always on like a group of rods in the boat. And then I'll have a couple of rods rigged with a uh, jerk bait and a couple rods rigged with a crank bait. Now, just today or yesterday i started throwing more spinner baits and we're getting a couple but it's not like they're you know they're, they're the answer yet but probably within a week or two when that water is at 50 and steady at 50 that's going to have to be something that you have to have with you at all the time so again it's following where these fish are and looking at you know if if it's you've got a cold front you've got to be looking for softer bottom you know because they're not really in the rocks quite yet and after getting ready to spawn they're going to be out and the current seems more. So we had talked about boat position a little bit in our, in our seminar. And it's very important for kayaks too. A lot of us come out of the winter into the spring thinking that the bass are all in this dead water. And it's not that you won't catch a few fish in that dead water, that real calm water. But if you don't have high water, you should really be looking at current. So, if your river normal flow for your river, and you can look this up on most of your your charts, most of your uh, uh, real time charts that you know that that the USGS has, um, if if your regular depth, your median depth is let's say five feet, and you're at seven, then yes, you know look for that slack water. Look for the tight to bank, tight to cover, tight to an island, tight to an eddy type spot. But if it's normal, like today, we we were finding most of our fish not tight to the bank, but literally off and, and, and out in the current seam. So I wish I had the picture to show you, but you know, it, if, you, if you normally fish with your kayak where you're sitting inside the seam or sitting at the seam, throwing into the shoreline, you might be sitting on top of the fish. So two suggestions is either to move further out to the, the current which is harder boat control and throw to, you know, throw into the shallow water, but make sure that you're working it back into that current seam or put the boat, fish that, fish the, the slow water first, then put the boat in the eddy and find a way to either anchor or clip yourself off and throw out to the current seam and bring it back into that slow water because they're very current related. And, and if you look at minnows, minnows are also very often right at the current edge you know that the crayfish like the current. They they, they they pick up a lot of debris and a lot of stuff, but they're eating off the current. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be rock and hard current, but one of the biggest lessons that I hear almost every spring is, I wouldn't have fished here because of how fast the current is. And that's usually after about five or six fish being caught in, you know, one to three mile per hour current, which is a pretty swift current. And they'll go to me, Well, I really wasn't expecting to catch fish. I wouldn't have gone to this spot. I would have spent by time, you know, on the bank somewhere or off an eddy. And while we do catch a few fish there, I I, I think that how much bass relate to current in a river is probably one of the misunderstand most misunderstood pieces to, to river fishing.
4: Um, a couple of questions from that. Um, you mentioned working a jig aggressively I, or a, a tube aggressively. I always heard a, a tube is kind of a, you know, you let it, cast it out and let it fall and it does like a swirly thing and that's the main draw of that but yeah is i mean the thing so receiver?
5: when i when i first off when i fish a tube i fish it as light as i possibly can so if i can fish it on a 16th or an 8th that's my choice if i can't i, I try to go to 3 sixteenths, and i rarely ever go as high as uh a quarter because i want to drag it right so the, the, to find out what mood these bass are in, I'll, I'll, I'll let it sit and then I'll drag it. I'll let it sit and I'll, let, I'll drag it a little bit. So that's how how my winter fishing usually goes. But once they start to get aggressive, you'll notice it's almost like a cat and mouse game. So if you've ever played with a cat and you, if the ball is just sitting there and never moves, they don't even bother with it, right? The, There's a string or a ball or a light. They just But the more you move that light, the more they're interested in getting it. And I don't know if they want to kill it and, or eat it. But what I'll do is I'll throw the tube out, and I usually throw the tube out perpendicular. So I'm not throwing it upriver. I'm throwing it straight across, and I'm balancing it down the current line into, you know, from usually slack water into the fast water. And by being aggressive, what I'm talking about is that quick lift, that, 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 that lift, right? So in the wintertime, I'm, you know, I'm barely moving, the, the, so it's, very, it's not aggressive at all. But I'm not opposed to taking a, a throwing it out and doing, you know, a crawfish hop or you know, just popping it, let it letting it come up. Right. And then same thing with a, I mean, when I say too, um, you could do this with a grub, you could do it with a Ned rig. I'll pop it and let it fall to the bottom. Then I'll pop it again. And it's like a crankbait bite or a jerk bait bite where sometimes it isn't even the profile of the bait, it's the action of the bait that's getting them to go off on it. So that's what I mean by aggressive we're talking about a swim bait, I, you know, I'll sometimes let my swim bait go out and, and fall and then I'll bring it back and then I'll let it go back out and I'll reel it and bring it back. What I'll do a lot of times is, you know, it could be, it's a steady, a steady retrieve. Right now, what I'm doing is I'll throw it out there. I'll let it hit the bottom and I'll jerk it. Reel a couple times, let it hit bottom and jerk it. Almost like it's either a crayfish, even though it's a minnow shape, either it's like a crayfish that's, that's doing it or one of those, dace or darters that, that hop from rock to rock. And uh, that gets their attention. And once they see it, they're they're locked onto it and they can barely get themselves to not hit it. So it's a reaction strike, right? I think in the, in the seminar, I talked about a bee, right? So, you know, you're not swatting at the bee as a human being to try to get that bee, not trying to catch it, right? You're just trying to knock it out of the way. And sometimes I think the bass aren't trying to eat it. They're just trying to knock it out of the way. And sometimes that's, that can be as good as, as as their hunger could be secondary to their reaction, right? So it's one of those things where is it a reaction strike or is it a hunger strike? So it's it's, it's, it's I like the reaction strike because if I can get them to go on it, I don't have to wait for them for the dinner bell, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes this sense. Totally-
3: you know, there's actually one more type of bite that we learned about recently. <laughs> With uh, with uh, one of our other co hosts, Dan Perry. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's called the Dorito Bite. The Dorito Bite, no, I yeah.
5: haven't heard that, that one.
3: That, that's, that's what he calls it for the Ned Rig because he, he said, Ned Rig, you know, e- even if you're full, already ate, he, he said, if somebody offers you a Dorito, you're gonna eat the Dorito, you're gonna eat it, yeah. yeah <laughs> I mean, you. You, you got got eat Ethan Dorita.
5: Yeah, I mean, river fish in general are opportunistic, right? Because they don't have the luxury of following pods of bait fish around like they do in a in a river. So what I always tell people is they're opportunistic. If you can just get it inside in front of their face, they're they're generally going to eat it. And so sometimes the wonderful thing about the net rig is it's a small little snack. You know, it's what two and a half, three inches long. It's a small little snack. And I've caught you know we've caught 42 43 inch muskie on a stupid Ned rig fishing for bass <laughs> because it's a snack, it's gonna land in front of my face. So I'm just gonna eat it because it's a snack.
3: Yeah, they, that's basically what so I like. The Doritos Dorito but yeah. I may have to use
5: it. Is does he have that that's set up where that's uh, you know, is that does he have that trademarked or anything? It, is it yeah. trademarked? It's not trademarked, no. at all. it will be
3: by the time this airs. It better be <laughs> because I think we might be
5: using that one. <laughs>
2: Learn more at marines.com.
4: Um, one another thing you mentioned, um, and I, I would think it would be applicable to kayaks as well is when you're casting like your jerk baits and stuff, you're casting them out, like you said, perpendicular and letting them go down with the current, kind of almost behind the boat, so um, versus casting upstream because it's always going to get snagged. And that was one thing that I always did, and what uh, I can't wait to get out and try that now because
5: I always thought I want it to be hitting them in the face that's that's funny see i think if if you're a lake fisherman by heart and you you watch a lot of these you know programs on tv they once you throw in the jerkbait on a slack line and i think that's 100 right correct right and it's not that you can't do that on the river but it's less effective because you've always got the current pulling the bait anyway so it's not like it's not like wind on a a lake because it's not always windy and there is a little bit of a current in a lake, but on a river, it's a very consistent current. So, um, I had a young man who was actually watching the seminar, he watched it twice, and today he got to prove to himself that, you know, this technique that I was sharing uh, really paid dividends and it did pay dividends for him today because it cut out a lot of wasted time and wasted motion. So. I generally like to have the boat fairly slow, almost stopped in the current if I can. So I'm not saying you can't throw it while you're drifting, of course you can. but I envision fish looking at a jerk bait just kind of sitting there you know waiting for it to do something or they come up to it. If you've ever watched um, uh, sailfish come up to a bait, they actually like almost like swim at a certain at a six, seven miles per hour, but it almost is an like effortless force. And they're just looking at it and they back off and they come up and they back off. And then all of a sudden they hit it. I always, when I'm throwing a jerkbait, envision the fish looking at my jerk bait the whole time. It keeps me engaged in, in what I'm doing. So I like to have my boat pointed up river, either anchored or with a trolling motor going, or you know if I'm paddling, I usually have a paddle in my hand. I'm kind of trying to keep myself from going slower than the current is going. And I throw that bait out quarter downriver, not straight down river not straight out but quarter down river almost at a 45 degree angle if you will and i'll give it two pops to get it down to where it's you know it's supposed to be at its running thing and i'll i'll give it you know let it let it float and i'll pop it again twice but the whole time i'm doing this the bait really is never on a slack line except for when i go to pop it and um on a lake you 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 don't want that on a lake you want the bait to quiver and do everything it's supposed to do on that slack line but if you do that on a lake on a river you know a number of things can happen you you could be because it's drifting you could be getting caught in debris it could be you know literally missing where the fish are and what we've learned and i think a lot of river anglers you know do this almost without even thinking about it is by throwing it quarter down and, and letting it do that swing, right? Where it swings behind the boat, they're they're noticing that, gee, my my strikes are coming almost at the very bottom of my swing. So why waste all that time throwing it way up here and letting the bait come slowly down through here? It might take, you know. 40 50 60 seconds or longer to get down to where it is where if you get that strike and you know where it is You can kind of pinpoint it instead of throwing it out 45 Maybe you're throwing it out even you know 65 degrees if you know what I mean rather than just straight out the back So that's that's kind of you know the big difference between how I throw a jerkbait in a lake and how I throw in a river now Don't get me wrong if I'm throwing into a, an eddy somewhere. I'm gonna throw it on slack line, right? but if I've got current And I mean, rocking current today, I was in, the boat was literally, you know, at the edge of the current and I was throwing into waves, you know, and that jerk bait was coming out. And as soon as it broke the waves into the softer seam, you know, we were getting clobbered. So it's not that you can't throw on a slack line and not that you shouldn't, but in a river condition, especially this time of year, spring and fall, you don't have to, you can kind of let it go down into the current seam. And, you know, that's kind of where you're going to get most of your strikes. And, again, if it's working for you, don't stop it. So what I tell people is if you're getting your bites more out to the side, keep on throwing out to the side. But if you find that 90% of your bites are at the bottom of your swing, just cut out that middle ground and and throw 45 or less so that you can get down to that swing just in less time. So that's the point I was trying to make. You know, you
3: said you kayak as well. Do you – What's your technique for using a uh, a jerk bait in a kayak? You know, I've I've got buddies that do it and stuff, but man, I just I don't know if if you're if you're standing, uh, yeah, you can do. But man, sitting down and trying to do that jerk motion, I I have so much trouble with that. It, it is, and so
5: I I'll try to get myself into a situation where I can put my leg out on a you know on a rock or. I'll pin myself. I have these little, you know, anchor pins that I'll, that I'll pin myself into like more of a slack area and throw it out into the current so I can still jerk it. What's difficult is, is, you know, you, you, the cast is not a problem. It's getting that rod tip low in a kayak and not hitting, mm-hmm. you know, because I like, I like my, in a boat's real easy. Cause you know, you you've got all that room to, to, to force yeah. the boat down. And I'll see guys, you know, trying to jerk the bait sideways, but it really has to be, jerk down to get that bait where it's supposed to go. If your rod tip is up or neutral, it's not going to dive to the depth that it's supposed to. So one trick might be to use like a, a deep diving lip versus a standard, even though you're in only four foot of water. Because by where your, your rod tip is, it's going to keep that thing from going super deep and yet will dive to the to to the 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 area that you want it to. I think a lot of people Don't realize that the direction that they're jerking that in is driving that bait up, not down to dig like, like it should be. So that's, you know, rod tip down and you're jerking it is really difficult in a kayak. So I don't want to be focusing on keeping my boat still or not moving. Mm -hmm. So I'll kind of, you know, either get myself in an eddy where I'm moving slower than the current is, or I'll pin myself or I talked about this in the seminar about anchoring off with a grabber or something like that. So I can, kind of concentrate on that area because you may have a group of fish at the front of a ledge, you know, where that water's cascading over a ledge, but they're right in front of it or right behind it. And if you can keep on hitting the same spot over and over again, which is kind of easy in a, in a boat, if you can duplicate that in a kayak, I think you'll have more success with that kind of a bait,
1: you know, versus a,
5: a crankbait where you can be moving with a crankbait and throwing to 10 or 15 different targets, you know, constantly just moving all around. And, you know, it's, even if you don't catch the fish, if you get that bite, that short bite, um, or you get that follow, you know, you've got the attention, you know, where that fish came from, and you can go back there and throw uh, a more finesse style bait to catch that fish, because you know, he's there already, because he's kind of, you know, identified himself by either smacking the bait, and not getting caught or following it in and cutting off short, you know. So even just seeing the fish gives you confidence to know, okay, that fish came out of that, you know, behind that rock or in that eddy or in that current seam. So I know they're there. So now I can, you know, focus it and, and, and fish it more, you know, more determined, uh, with a soft plastic or a swim bait or something that I can have more control over.
3: I might have to try that, uh, the deeper dove and church bait it, it, that, you know, that that, plus, that stuck in my
5: head right there. You know, just because if your rod tip is up, that bait's going to sit higher in the column than it's supposed to. So it's yeah. like running a crankbait, right? The crankbait, if you've got your rod tip deep and you're spinning, it, it's going to go as deep as it possibly can. If you level it out, it's going to run a little bit less shallow, a little bit less deep. And if you hold your rod tip up, that thing's not going to run as deep, you know, by a long shot. So it's spinner baits the same way. I mean, if you hold the rod tip up, which is a little bit more work, if you hold it up, it'll kind of wake just under the surface without having to move it really fast. You just hold it up and it'll kind of, you know, be forced to sit in that upper plane. And a lot of times that's the difference between the same guy throwing the same spinner bait and not is, you know, if they're on the bottom and you're slow rolling it, that's great. But if they're on that, if they are looking for that bait just under the surface, um, sub subsurface, and you're not holding your rod tip the way it's supposed to. You're just going to make, you know, one guy's catching and you're not. You're wondering why. It's all rod position. You know, key with spinner baits, crank baits, jerk baits. Interesting.
4: And uh, like he said, on a kayak, sometimes you're limited uh, to your rod position, but it, it, you know, you know, sometimes it pays to experiment a little bit. And yeah, see. you overcome
5: it. I mean, it's what, what I find is that people who wade and people who are kayak fishing. Um, because they can get over the obstacles and because they have smaller areas to fish, you know, they don't have, like today I went 12 miles in a jet boat, right? Who does that in a kayak? You know, you just really don't do, do it up, upstream. You tend to be a better, more efficient uh, angler because you're fishing in a smaller body of water, smaller, targeted area. And so you're picking that area apart versus running and gunning and running over top of fish to catch fish. So I think sometimes when I had my smaller, slower boats, I was a better angler at times. I, I was, was more patient. Let's put it that way. Right. So, and sometimes, you know, today's catching was slow in the morning and good in the afternoon. And if I couldn't talk myself into rushing, you know, I needed to be, I needed to slow down knowing that the day would evolve. It always evolves. You know, when we got our fish, it just took us you know, towards the, uh, the second half of the day because the first half was slow. And you'll have those days. And the key is to try not let that get too much into your head. You know, you're going to catch them. Just don't get too far out of your game plan. Pay attention to what's going on. If, if something works then just repeat, repeat, repeat. If you get a bite or a strike, I always tell people, where'd you throw it? Because you want to throw it back to that same spot again, because bass are rarely ever alone. You know, in the summertime, even in the summertime, when they have smaller hunting groups, there's usually two or three bass that are out cruising with each other in these pockets, right? So if you throw and you get one to strike, believe me, that, that, that bass that was trailing with him, he saw him eat something, and now he's interested in eating it as well. If you've ever been on a frenzy, you see where bass try to knock the bait out of another bass's mouth, and that happens quite a bit. As a matter of fact, it happens as soon as, like, right now. You know, we start getting these frenzies going. If you can get one to eat, you can usually get two.
4: I don't know if I, I speak for Ryan, but I sometimes, you know, I, I'm still new enough to this game that I get so excited that I catch one that I completely forget about throwing back into that exact same spot. Yeah, I mean, I'm it's really
5: important. I mean, it, and I, I triangulate, and I'll say, listen, here's the most important part: is if you know how far off the bank that strike came, if you know where you put that, 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 that. I mean, I watch bubble lines in the water. When I'm fishing, sometimes if the wind is blowing a different way, it's difficult to know where that eddy is or where that seam is. But there's always a bubble line, you know, something a bubble that's moving slower than the outside bubbles or the inside bubbles. I'm always looking to see where we threw it. And I'll tell clients, you didn't throw it there. You threw it over there. Throw it back over there again. And generally, the next time they throw back in that exact same spot, they they crush it. I mean, and and that's – and that's really the difference between some of your, your anglers who are more consistent is that they, they pay attention to just the small things. It's not really a technique deal. It's really paying attention to, okay, well, I threw the bait in here. I got hit here. I'm going to do that until the fish stop biting. Or I had the fish here yesterday. If they're still here, are they further down in the current scene? Are they further down in the hole? Are they further up? And that's just just making just small little adjustments to your game every day. Yeah, to catch the fish.
4: That's pretty cool. I, I like that. I um, it, it makes it tough sometimes. You know uh, when you when you see it day in and day out, and you can kind of track the fish movement a little bit better. Where versus oh yeah, like it's definitely it the I don't weekend know. warriors who kind of are are at the mercy of kind of yeah. I don't. I don't.
5: I wouldn't use that term as a neg- as a derogative term. It's you know I feel bad for some of those guys that have that They caught them last Sunday, and now Saturday's here again, and they don't know you know where to begin and and. You know, sometimes it can be a good thing going out there fresh, but a lot of times it's so much easier to know, okay, I did this yesterday, I did this the day before, and I know it works. I just got to figure out where, you know, what's the difference between today and yesterday. Yeah, you can just kind of follow them. Yeah, and you can and you can kind of have confidence, you know it's going to work. Like yesterday was slow. So I wasn't surprised when today was slow to start. And so I could, you know, I talked to my clients, say, listen, we're gonna get them. They're just a little bit finicky right now. We just gotta be patient and, and it will come. And it did. So it's one of those things where, you know, even even getting out of my own head going, you know, you see a guy catch a fish or two guys catch a fish and you know that, you know, your turn's coming, you just got to kind of wait it out. And, and it's just a matter of time before it happens. And then, you know, every day we put together a pattern every day, I'm trying to learn something. And usually there's something, I mean, today's lesson was just perseverance. You just, you knew that they were going to hit. And if you ran around too much, you know, you tried a few different things and one thing worked and you tried it again to see if that same type of thing worked. and usually you build a pattern and that's way today went for me personally
3: now do you use any type of electronics on the river or do you just go I do them? but I
5: don't I mean it's not like a, a lake I mean if I was a lake fisherman I would probably have you know I would like be like all these guys who have two thousand three thousand dollars into their their sonars for me in the river the sonar does you know basically a few things for me I'll, I'll say three uh, through the water temperature which i think is important some guys don't care but i really like to know the water temperature because i want to know where it is relative to the morning and the afternoon where it was relative to the day before where are we trending up are we trending down um is there an influence like if i buy a creek where now i've got three or four degrees warmer you know a lot of these bigger um rivers like for us we have the juniata river you know, that water coming out of the Juniata might be two or three degrees warmer. And so that whole bank, once you get out to the main river, you know, for a mile or a mile or two is going to be warmer. So it's not, while that might not be a good thing in the summertime, it's a real good thing in the springtime when fish are looking for warmer habitat. Um, it just not even the fish, but also the prey, right? They're going to be more active. It's They're all cold, they're all cold blooded creatures. So the warmer that water is, the more active they are. The more active they are, the more prone they are to eat. So and they have to because their metabolism is up. The second thing that I do is I want to know the depth because I can't always see what the depth is. Right. So if I notice, hey, I'm catching fish in five foot of water, I want to know when I'm, you know, in about four and a half to five foot of water. So that's important to me. Yeah, you could use your fishing rods, but my fishing rods are like 250 bucks a piece. I don't want to be using them to test, you know, how deep the rocks are. So, I mean, yes, there is a way to do that. Uh, You know, I've had friends that do that. My rods are a little bit more. I mean, I don't want to do that to my rods. And then the other thing that I do is because I fish so many rivers and I fish so many miles of rivers, I don't have a home boat ramp. Like I know a lot of guys who guide launch out of the same boat ramp every single day and power to them. I bore very easily. So I need variety. So I'll launch in one week, I'll launch out of three or four different boat launches in five days. Um, Throughout the year, I'm on five different rivers and probably 60 different boat ramps, right? So because of that, I don't remember memorize where every rock is, every ledge is, every location. So I do use waypoints like you would on a lake. And I I use them. I have them, you know, I have them right now on mine for... Virginia for West Virginia for Maryland for New Jersey for New York for Pennsylvania so I, mean, I just don't know that you can I can't I can't memorize every spot and so that's why I keep a log book it's why I have this stuff on my sonar but those are the three things for sonars for me if I was fishing a lake I would love to have some kind of side imaging or live imaging or something that you could actually look at and go okay well that's definitely a fish and I'm looking under that dock or under that, you know, that bank over that bank abutment over there so that, you know, in the wintertime, you're not fishing over zero fish. But in the river, I'm pretty confident I know where the winter holes are and I'll I'll work it out. But without having to spend twenty five hundred hours on a, a live scope or something like that.
4: Yeah, that was yeah. going to be one of my questions, too, because I think. In the first seminar I called, I, I heard the the back end of one of those questions. And, and you said you when you're searching for fish, you look more at the surface of the water than you would yep. at a fish finder. And I was going to ask you what you look for then.
5: So it, it, it's amazing if you ever if you've ever been out in a wind storm or in a light rainstorm. When the when the water, when the when the wind hits the surface of the water or when the rain hits the surface of water, it pretty much shows where the ledges are. And if you've ever seen that or not, it kind of shows you where ledges are that are, you know, that the current's not flowing over and showing you where those ledges are. The other thing is you can watch where the bubble line of the current is. Sometimes you can't see the current because there's no visible thing going around the rock, but you can watch the bubble lines do these weird things where they move or one set of bubble line will be moving this fast and the other one's moving really slow. So you kind of know that there's a there's a, a flow difference there between, you know, inside the rocks. The other thing I look for is where they come, where they come together. Because sometimes we have these ledges that will protrude out of the water. And then there'll be a, a break in the ledge and there'll be two pieces of water that come down into that. And where those two currents meet again creates a, a secondary eddy so just being able to read the bubble lines being able to read the water i mean it's easy in and in easier in the fall when you see leaves floating you can kind of get an idea where they are it's a little harder to fish through but i think learning the bubble lines and learning to read the water you know is is a key factor i mean Sometimes our boat's positioned on top of the fish, and it really needs to be off. And and you, if you could see the bubble line before you feel it, like if, if you've ever, ever eddied out in a kayak, now that's an extreme thing. But if you've ever gotten yourself into a kayak, um, it, it, it you might feel where it's, oh, wow, it's easy to paddle here. or I don't have to really do much. I'm just sitting in this pond, you might be sitting on the fish because you got sucked into that. Well, it's no different with a bigger boat. It just it takes a while to get to learn that. Right. But if you can see that before you feel it, now you haven't disrupted the fish doesn't mean you can't back out of it and give it a few minutes to, to refresh it up. But you know, that's, that's the other thing. Another thing is different than uh, a lot of bodies of water is that in river, especially this time of year, you can fish a spot in the morning and catch one fish or none. But if you revisit that spot a couple hours later, it's probably not the same group of fish, especially now if they're all moving, right? If they're, you know, I'm not talking about spawning fish or winter fish or fish that are, at summertime and it's July, late July, they've been in this pattern. The river hasn't changed. We haven't got a lot of water. We haven't got a lot of, you know, it's been hot. If they're in those spots, they're not gonna really move too much of the spots. They're gonna move in and up and out of, out of the eddies in and out of the current seams and the the riffles, but they're not making these big moves right now they're moving. So you fish that rock that you fished two two or three days ago or a year ago, and you know, you caught fish there. Don't give up on it. If you don't catch them there, just go back a couple hours later. You might be surprised to find that there's a brand new group of fish in that area. So, I mean, it's a time of year when you can refish an area and not really beat it up because the fish are constantly moving A new group of fish are moving in. And I'm talking more, You know, I'm not talking about a specific winter hole where, you know, those seventy two bass are there all winter and they're that's that's what they're gonna be there. And if you go there enough, you'll start to catch the one with a bad eye and you'll catch the one that's got the nose, you know, it's got a shortened nose or something. That's that's a different story than what I'm talking about when you're talking about the transitions in the spring. There's just so much movement. Uh
3: would you you say that transitions to lakes as
5: well or are you talking it's a river sure in a lake so it, if you're largemouth fishing and i grew up largemouth fishing also you know a lot of farm ponds where i grew up if i had a bass behind a stump there was a bass behind that stump almost every time i went there and it, if it didn't eat i would go over to the stump and spook him right just to prove that he was there mm-hmm. smallmouth are not really like that they still like you know you know, they're still like a good home, a good position, but smallmouth move a lot, right? They're going to follow bait Well, the same story on a lake, right? So, you know, the hardest time to find fish in the lake is usually in the summer when they're chasing these pods of bait fish. So your best anglers generally find that pod of bait fish, then they find the bass and they fish the bass and catch them until that pod disperses. Then they go find another pod of bait fish on the river it's not quite like that. They have neighborhoods where they can actually feed on crayfish or feed on a, on a, on a a group of minnows that are more, they're not, they're not minnows that are in group or pods. Now this is different on the Susque, on a, on the Delaware and the lower Susquehanna where they have shad fry and those shad fry are, are balled up in the, fall time or late summer, and they're following those shad fire. That's a different story. I'm talking about your dace, your daughters, your stone cats that are pretty much, they're in their residence, and the bass are just there picking them apart, right? They, they, they live there. They don't wander too far from those areas. If they were, they're born in this grass, bed, they're probably going to stay in that grass bed until, you know, till the end of the summer or early fall, and then they'll migrate to wintering areas like everything else does. But they just don't, I don't think that they chase bait miles on a river. I think pretty much unless it's a frog, you know, know, a a frog migration or an eel migration or a shad migration or, you know, occasionally I think on the Susquehanna we have uh, emerald shiners that gather and spawn. If it isn't one of those events, I don't think the bass are, are, are traveling to eat. I think they're eating locally.
4: Cool. Well, um, I, I mean, that covers a bunch of what you went over in the seminar. Um, and I figured, uh, real quick, uh, I'd ask you just pick your brain real quick I, as a guide. I'm sure you you see all spectrum of fishermen, and um, from noobs up to you know, you know, people who really know what they're doing. And I, I was wondering, like, what the the top three mistakes you see from kind of uh, younger or amateur rookie fishermen, noobs, if um, you will.
5: Sure. I mean, I I um not really mistakes, they're just things that they can actually consider. So I, I'll tell you one thing, I've learned a lot of things by not demiss- dismissing somebody or doing something different than I do, right? So sometimes if someone says to me, I'm going to try this, I don't talk them out of it right away because it may work. And then after a while, if it's not working, I'll, you know, I'll kind of coach them to try something different. And if it is working, I usually give them credit for, it, you know, hey, I wouldn't have done that. And I'm really glad I didn't tell you not to do it because it worked <coughs> Uh One of the things that I've, I think that there are certain rods that are better than others for doing certain applications. So having an extra fast, super fast rod tip and trying to throw a crankbait might not f- work for me personally. I think you need a softer, slower rod for crankbaits. So I'll I'll give a, a person a crankbait because I think it's a very powerful tool or a, uh, uh, a lipless crankbait like a rattle trap. And they'll go, oh, I don't like to throw them because I always lose fish on them and if you look at their rod you know why cuz the rod is just so quick and so responsive that the bass has has it all over them when it comes time to jump or spit or maneuver so if they would just go to a slower action rod which would be terrible for uh, you know throwing a tube or a swim bait they would just, they would up their game a little bit. So I think that, you know, teaching people that there is an advantage to the rod type and the type of line is one of the first things that they get in the boat and they realize with me is that I have crankbait rods. I have a jerkbait rod. I have rods I use for, for um, my jigging. And I even use different lines for that stuff so that they can feel it better. And it's not that I'm saying not that I'm not saying you can't use one rod But I think that if you're learning and you get, it's like having the right, it's like having a framing hammer, but trying to do finish work. I mean, you could do it, but it's not the best tool to use for doing it. So it's not that you can't do it, but why wouldn't you give yourself, especially being new, give yourself the best opportunity? So, I mean, I literally explain why I'm using the braid that I'm using and when I use it and why I don't use braid for crankbaits, for jerkbaits, why I don't use it for spinnerbaits. (laughs) But I really like it when I'm doing jig work because it's instant. I feel that thump. I feel it instantly. I can set the hook with a little bit less power and still drive the hook. That's something I don't want to do with a crankbait. I don't want to drive that hook because a fish is already setting himself up with the hook. I want a little bit slower hook set and it'll still drive it, and yet because that rod responds slower, that fish has much less chance of jumping and throwing that bait. So that's that's the one key is just the equipment piece of it. Um, the other thing is not understanding when to throw what types of baits. Not that it doesn't matter, not that it matters, you know, not to try different things once in a while, but there are certain seasonal things, and a lot of guys don't have success with things because they throw it, um, let's say, I threw a spinnerbait last week, it didn't work. Well, tell me the conditions. Well, nothing was working. Well, why would you expect the spinnerbait to work? Right. Mm-hmm. So when you wanna if you want to learn a, a bait, you know, try to understand when it works best. And when you're catching them on your favorite thing, put that favorite thing down and start to use this other thing so you can build the techniques. Don't be afraid to watch podcasts like this or look online and try to find out things or just get it's advice from clubs. What's that?
3: That's so hard to do, though. If it is so, so hard like, to do. If you, you really want to get better at it, yeah, yeah.
5: it's, it's <laughs> one of those things where if you really want to that get better distance. at it, yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I know guys that will go, okay, I'm taking nothing out but this. No, I'm not saying to do that, but if you're catching fish on your favorite lure... Put it down and start to throw the other things to see if they'll hit that, and you'll get, grow confidence in it. I mean, I'll have guys fish a crankbait with me and go home and spend 50 bucks on crankbaits, right? I mean, it's it happens. They'll never throw catch a fish on a swim bait, They'll come out with me, we'll catch a whole bunch of fish with swim baits and they'll order 100 swimbaits you know, that night. So it's <laughs> it's just it can be you know tough on your wallet, but it's one of those things where once you see. The other thing is to fish with as many different people as you possibly can. So by fishing with a bunch of different people, and I mean fishing with them either on the same boat or you know have your kayaks close by the entire time, watch what they're doing, and you'll pick up a lot of traits that you wouldn't get. So if you're always fishing with the same person, you're gonna be limited to what both of you know, where if you fish with a bunch of different people, you know that's why some of these invitationals or some of these contests or rodeos or whatever you wanna call the gatherings where guys are getting together in club events, you know, you learn a lot because you're watching somebody else fish. They might fish differently than you do, right? And sometimes it can be, you know, really tough because you're a fast fisherman and that person is painfully slow finesse fisherman and just doesn't mix. So, of course, that's that's uh, that's one of the things. So, equipment and then learning new stuff; those are the two things that I see most people do. Um, and the other thing is being too too confident in what you don't know. And I think as guides, we're constantly doing that. And so this is not just a newbie thing, it's, well, I saw, uh, you know, Kevin Van Dam, who I really like, by the way, he said, don't do this on this type of a day. Well, I can tell you what, I've caught more fish on top water on sunny days than I have in cloudy days. So just because the conditions aren't perfect for it, doesn't mean those fish aren't already looking up and just destroying baits on a sunny afternoon. Right, bluebird sky day, just destroying top water. So sometimes you have got to think out of the box and try something because you you can think all you know all the bass tricks are all the fishing tricks there are, but ultimately it's the bass who's eating and they're going to tell you what they want. So you know you you've, you've got to be willing to be flexible if they want top water throw top water. If they don't want top water, you can throw top water to your blue in the face. If they're looking down and they're bottom oriented, you're yeah. not going to catch fish that day. You might catch one or two, but is that really what you're looking for when you go out on your Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoons?
4: I think that's uh definitely some good info, man. So, um Ryan, do you have any other questions? I know I, I have a ton of things I could ask, and I think, you know, man, we'll definitely have to have you back on again because I, I have a ton of, ton of questions I have. Um, fishing current, I that's it's still something I've learned. I, I don't feel like I always have the best feel for my lures when they're in the current, like especially, you know, you're saying throw light like, you know, uh, eighth ounce quarter ounce yeah i
5: mean since we live so close if we could get together some one of these one of these evenings or you know even this year in the evenings, because i'm usually free in the evenings i could show you some things that might reshape the way that you look at certain baits and the way we use them in current and letting the current do a lot more work than what we're doing and from a kayak standpoint since you're doing so much with boat control and everything else around you Having a technique that works where you're not, you know, having to be super critical on how how that's working and still catching fish could be a plus. So we might want to try to get together later this uh, this spring or early summer. That would be
4: awesome. And I'm definitely going to talk to my father-in-law, too, and look at your uh, dates for 2022, because I think that would be a blast as well. Super.
3: Man, these episodes with these big time river guys are interesting, especially for me. Like, I'm still kind of newer to river fishing. You know, I'm like, I'm loving it, but I still got a lot to learn about it.
5: Yeah. And I'm telling you, I, I, I have, this is not, this is not to brag, but I've probably written 120 articles on, on river fishing that have been published. And I have. We did a TV show for three years and I've been guiding for 16 years. Um, it, it, it all means nothing because I'm still learning every single day I go out and I'm still getting school. I mean, it's it's what makes chasing these smallmouth or whatever bait, whatever fish you trace that so much fun, because, you know, all the books, all the stuff that you read, all the things you have in your head that, you know, to be or at the time to be 100% factual, you know, that can be just completely disrupted in, in one event as you're out there going, I know it's not supposed to work, but today we <laughs> them on crankbaits and, you know, or we were throwing top water and it was a bluebird sky. And, you know, there was, there was no hatch, there was no other action. We just accidentally threw something on the surface and boom and hit it. As soon as they hit it. And so we started playing around with it. So I just think it's important that, you know, there are some really key factors to, that you can almost always count on being very true and there's other ones that will constantly be disproved because fish are fish they're going to eat what they want to eat when they want to eat it how they want to eat it
3: another thing with the river is not just the fishing is like the first time i really went out on the river on the kayak you know just being out there on a kayak it's just so much there's so much more to it than just fishing Like it felt more like an adventure out there than it was. It is. Like I mean, it's been said,
5: there's so many great little poetic things that people say about a river. Like you never step into the same water twice. Right. Which is true because it's never at the same level. It's never at the same temperature. It's never the same time of year. It's always seems to be a different place. And, and
3: you got to get out and like pull the kayak up through some riffles and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it's just yep. awesome to me.
4: Well, and just like you said, the first time I think I, I was coming down current and had it spin me around into a eddy, and it, it, just that feeling of like, wow, the, the current is just ripping me along. And then all of a sudden you get pulled into that water and you like looking at it from the shore, you'd think it's all rushing right through there, but
5: there's that one little spot. Really soft spot. Out. And sometimes it's just in, in a, in the middle of nowhere, you can't see what's stopping the water. Uh, and you've got this, you know, this, this area that just completely stops you. And a lot of times those edges around that is where the fish are because they know it. I mean, let's, let's be, let's be honest. I always tell people if you've ever sat at a school bus stop when you were a kid and you had wind blowing in your face on a winter morning, you always looked about a way to get yourself out of that wind just a little bit to kind of block it. Well, current can be that way with fish, right? If it's not desirable temperatures, they're going to position themselves. And if you consider, if you consider, um, Current, like wind, it kind of gives you an idea of what they're trying to do to step up for it before they get themselves knocked into it. So, I mean, it's it's a great thing for, it's a great conveyor for food, but it's also fish have to be facing forward in the current to breathe, right? So, uh, on you know, 90% of the time, unless the fish are escaping from something or chasing something, they're facing upriver. So when I explain that to people, that we present the bait downriver to them, they kind of get an idea, like you see this little light bulb going on inside them going, oh, they have to be facing upriver. So by presenting it to them, you're not coming over top of their heads, which does work for some applications. But, you know, if you're bouncing this tube right across their noses, you get a better chance to hit them across the noses when you're throwing it and allowing it to go downriver versus, you know, throwing it over top of their heads. Of course.
3: Yeah, y'all talking about the current pulling you into eddies and stuff. I don't know. The current just pulls me into laid over trees. <laughs>
5: it's the strainers.
3: <laughs> yeah, I had my encounter.
5: Yeah, I'm right, sure right. it's uh, yeah. it's not easy.
3: Well, cool, man. Um I I guess we're wrapping up. Did you have anything else, Sean?
4: Uh for right now, I think that's I think we covered a time. We'll let people digest that, but uh I think that was pretty good for one one sitting here. So,
5: super. Well, hey guys, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. If you ever have an open spot or you have any questions or there's anything else I can help you with, uh, p- please feel free to give me a chat, and uh, I'd love to love to come back on again.
3: Yeah, appreciate you coming on here and everything uh, you have you want to shout out any social media where people can follow you find you uh, any sure it's, you may it's have, all
5: that yep you can you can look look us up on uh, Real River Adventures uh, our 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 web is up but it doesn't get as much activity as our Facebook page so it's Real River Adventures dash R R A, the initials, and it's real as an R E E L as in a fishing reel. So Real River Adventures dash R R A. And that's on Facebook. And you'll get date literally get daily reports if we're doing specials, if we're doing techniques. We're going to be doing a little bit more video on how to how to present some stuff. I'm working with um a group of guys who are are in the, the smallmouth uh, fanatic groups or smallmouth uh, Bass groups that want to do more technique type stuff. That we're going to be doing some live video, and uh, but you'll be able to follow that on that. And from there, you can link to our Instagram. That's really that's really the best place to go. Is Facebook right now? That's where we do most of our reports, and it's pretty live. And if you do have a question on this, you feel free to 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 PM me. I'll answer a question. Say hey, I saw you guys on the on this, and I have a question on something specific. Or we fish the Susquehanna a lot. You know, can you tell me about this area? I don't mind getting back. Just realize that it may take me a day or so because I'm literally on the water Monday through Friday. And uh, I try not to fish too much on the weekends to let everybody else have the water.
3: Cool. Uh, any sponsors?
5: Uh, you know what? Sponsors are, are, are <laughs> I, I I like local sponsors. So uh, one of my favorite sponsors is um, Fit Premium Lures. Um there's sponsors that I that I don't have that I really like to use. I mean, uh, I do like Kitech, I'm on their, their 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 piece as well. But as far as reels and things like that, I mean, I like Shimano, I like Daiwa, I like Luz, and I'm associated with a few of them. But it wouldn't stop me from using what works best. I mean, that's one of the things that's bad about sponsors is that you tend to drink the Kool Aid from your side of things. And to me, it's the saving of 15 or 20 bucks isn't worth you know not fishing the best equipment. So. Uh, while I do love, you know, my Daiwa reels, I, I'm not going to turn down a Shimano reel or a bad mouth something because they're, they're great products, right? So I, I think that we get too carried away with sponsors at times. So I can, I can do without my sponsors. I want to make sure that I'm giving my clients the best I possibly can. So if it's Kitech and I do get a great deal with Kitech, I love throwing Kitech, but I'm not associated with Z-Man. I have no problem throwing a Z-Man product. You know what I'm saying? So I think if it's it's working for you and you should be throwing it, not, not toting a line for something because it's all about catching for me. But thanks for asking.
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, once again, appreciate you coming on here, you know, it's been, been a good talk. And like Sean said, we'll have to get you back on here sometime because like I said. Sounds we, great. We, we, you river guys, you know, for <laughs> a special breed. Yeah, you can get more and more information <laughs> all, all the time. But yeah, guys, appreciate everybody listening. Um when this airs, the first paddle and fin tournament, the the uh the open on Dale Hollow and the clash of clubs will be over with. Uh, So that's pretty exciting. Uh, Go ahead and say congratulations to all the winners there, whoever they may end up being. Um, Yeah, that's pretty exciting for that first event coming up. Uh, Other than that, you know, it's been Bass Fishing for Noobs on Paddle and Fin Podcast, bringing you the techniques,
2: tricks, and tips to help you rip
3: more lips. Later, y'all.
2: Take care, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode on Paddle and Fin
0: rules were not created by man don't miss wild country wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m eastern presented by primos speak the language waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment a life that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv